Growing up sucks. Just ask Eric Lauber, father of three 20-somethings and a college professor for decades. Eric helps young adults get smarter, richer, healthier, and happier on the adulting podcast, Growing Up Sucks. Emily, welcome to the show today. This is Growing Up Sucks, a podcast where we try to help young people kind of process whatever they're going through, hopefully realize growing up doesn't always suck. There's, there's a lot of happy memories coming down the road. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into it today? So I'm a grad student and I study literacy reading specialist certification, and I'm also a pre-K to three um, emotional support teacher. I'm originally from Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, but I'm living in Indiana, and I I think right now the game plan is to stay in Indiana for a little bit. Indiana, Pennsylvania, right? Yep, Indiana, Pennsylvania. That's got a university there, so you're studying at IUP, I gather. Yes, I um, finished out my undergrad at IUP and loved it so much that I decided why not to stay for grad school. Well, that's great. That's an endorsement for that university. (laughs) So you're a teacher and a grad student at the same time. So I know you must be super busy. So uh, tell us something about um, your background. Tell us about your life a little bit and maybe some of the challenges that you've had. So something for me that's always been very apparent about my personality is I like to help others. Um, Selfless kind of qualities and rooting for the underdog. Um, I really hate to see anybody being excluded, um, any unkind words, unexpected um, or inappropriate behaviors have just never really struck a chord with me as a kid. I always wanted to stand up for people and befriend those who might not always have a friend group or those who might be bullied a lot. Even if it meant that I was going to take a hit socially, that didn't bother me because doing the right thing shouldn't bother you. Right. right. Um, so going through when I was younger, I never, I always thought about being a teacher and I was like, oh, if only I could be a teacher, but I didn't have that confidence in myself yet. And when I got into high school, I met with the internship advisor with my school district and, you know, talked through a lot of things because I was a little nervous that I was, you know, 15 going on 16 and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. So she looked at uh, starting into education. So I had an internship. It started for originally just one semester working in a life skills and autistic support classroom. And I loved it so much that I continued that internship for three years. And I would actually help out in the classroom during the summers as well. I would come into school about an hour early and I'd stay maybe one to two hours afterwards just to continue working in those classrooms. Um, I would dedicate my own money. So, you know, if I felt like it's something that could be beneficial for the students, my peers, the classroom, anything like that, I wouldn't mind pitching in. And I um, was exposed to other classrooms as well. So I worked in emotional support, um, multiple disabilities syndrome classrooms, so MDS classrooms, autistic support, life skills, learning support, and in various grades. So it was from K to ages 21. And that's when I decided I'm going to go to school to become a special education teacher. And that it just took off from there. And I've just always held that passion. I made it, you know, a priority in college to make sure I was dedicating time to advocacy because we can't expect progress and change if we don't put the effort in to educate ourselves, right? Because we can't change if we don't know. Right, right. Well, you had a really cool experience at a young age to help set you on the path that you're on. I interview so many young adults and people my age, they say, I don't know what I want to do. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I am still trying to figure it out, even in my 50s. I'm, I'm slightly jealous, but I'm also just so happy for you that your path seems so clear and that you've got some goals set up. 
and you know that you want to help. You want to help these people in this situation, and you know that you can get the training, you can make that happen. So you're already doing that in the classroom mm -hmm. as an emotional support person, and you're going on to grad school. So just paint a picture. What do you want to be doing 10 years down the road then? What's the goal here? Is it to be a full-time teacher? So my ultimate goal is, so ready for this very broad, I would like to get into a doctoral program. Um, I've looked at places like ASU, um, where I can look at examining literacy and socio-emotional educational skills and how that impacts urban cyclical incarceration rates to see if, you know, especially looking at the familial side of those incarceration rates to see if we can use education and SEL learning to bring down the number of familial urban, you know, that whole phrase. So right, see right. how we can impact and break that, that cycle. My daughter went to ASU and uh, loved it. So I do recommend it as a university to you. Uh, she has no regrets whatsoever. Um, so let me back up a little second. So you, uh, did, you, did you have a reason that your heart went out to all these other people that were being picked on? Were you picked on too for something? I think it comes down to we're all humans, right? And we all know how we should be treated. And behavior is a communication, right? When how we act, whether it's expected, unexpected, positive, or, you know, maybe not a good choice, it's always to communicate something. So whether it's a little kid knocking that block off their desk, or it's us as an adult avoiding that college assignment, right? That behavior is communicating something. So we need to figure out what those communication needs are. So when I'm seeing, you know, even as a kid, I, I really understood that. And I saw, okay, so if we're seeing kids being pushed aside, I need to understand why they're engaging those behaviors. And I also need to understand how it's impacting those who are receiving those unexpected behaviors, because I don't want to see anybody excluded. I very much feel that we are all human and it's our job to love, right? In a world that we can be anything, let's be kind. True. I, I, I'll echo that. I agree with it 100%. So you, you referenced earlier that you didn't care if you got socially uh, a backlash for standing up for the people that are being picked on. So describe for me, if you can, a moment when these things went bad for you, when you were most discouraged. I think for me, the times I was most discouraged was actually when I was in college, um, you know, standing up for others and as well as myself. Um, I have exceptionalities. I am disabled. And, you know, there were times where I faced, you know, discrimination or maybe unexpected or rude comments towards myself or towards other students. And it was hard because when it comes to having an exceptionality, you already are going through an own personal grieving process of, you know, not being able to do what others can necessarily. And so I don't want anybody else to hurt, but it's just hard when you already feel like you're standing on wobbly legs. My dad has a really good description of it. He says, imagine you are a house, right? And these are your three priorities. And they're always going to be the same no matter where you are in life. It's yourself, right? Because you got to take care of yourself. That's your foundation. That house won't stand if you don't have a solid foundation. Next is your family. So family might not necessarily mean blood, but it's who you are truly connected with. And then third is your work and your education. So for me, it's hard when that bullying is coming along and it's kicking in that foundation because then it rocks the other priorities. It makes it harder. So when I don't want anybody's foundation or my foundation to, to be cracked, it's just, it can be difficult with those phrases, you know, to hear, you know, some unfortunate things or to be excluded because of something that's out of your control. Well, p p paint a picture for me though, so I can, I can visualize this. What were you, 
what were you being picked on? Are you comfortable sharing? What were you picked on for? Or, or what's your exceptionality? Um, so an example would be, I have Ehlers-Danlos type three, which is the hypermobile type. And people would often make fun of the fact when I stand or when I walk, my joints bend funny. So my foot might flip completely backwards. So I'll have one foot facing forward, one foot backward, or they were both form. So it's at a 180 degree angle. Or if I put my arm out, I have an extra buckle. Um, EDS also, you know, a part of it is having long limbs. So people saying your arms are so long, your legs are so long. Or um, a big one I got was banana legs because I have such extra curvature that it, it looks like a banana. And now it doesn't bother me as much. I like the phrase banana legs, but when I first heard it, it was very hurtful. Um, so, you know, just even things like going to take pictures with friends and somebody be like, can we retake it? Your arm looks weird. You have banana legs or, um, you know, if my body would start to get sore and I was having frequent dislocations to the point where I needed to stop, you know, people would feel frustrated with me and be like, why can't you do anything fun? Or maybe even get to the point of not inviting me because they just didn't want to deal with the impacts and the changes and the accommodations that I needed to make. How did you get through these times? It was hard. I think, like I mentioned before, it's a grieving process. So sometimes it doesn't bother me. And other times it's hard not to fixate on it. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have very supportive friends and family. Um, and I have a great medical team that are really good at supporting me and helping me um, just kind of get through it. And something that's really awesome about the disability community, specifically the EDS community, is we are all very close knit and we're great at supporting each other and sharing each other's experiences and building each other up. So I'm very fortunate to have, you know, that kind of support in my life. Yeah, I, I hear it in your voice. You, you, you've got people you can rely on and that's excellent. That's, that's true for any of us. All of us need that kind of support from people. We all have our challenges the things that keep us up, the things that we don't, we don't want to take to bed with us because we can't go to sleep. But I mean, you've got some exceptionalities that not everybody has to, to deal with. What, um, what would you do differently if you could go back and do it over? I would be easier on myself. Um, not so critical. If I could go back, I would love to give myself all the knowledge that I have now and just be okay with who I am. So that way, I could be stronger in myself. And if I was stronger in myself, then I could be helping others out there. Cause that's really what comes down to it for me is if I can feel confident in myself and I know what helps me, that means I have the ability and the platform to help others. So that's really what comes down to it for me is I'd like to go back, mm -hmm. give myself that confidence, teach myself to be more forgiving, not to be so hard on myself. And that way I can serve others, you know, help out. That's really, that's really strong advice. And it's funny, my daughter says the exact same kind of thing. She goes, I want to be the older person that the younger person needed at that time. I want to be the 20 something who's there for the 18 year old who really could have used that 20 something year old in their life. That's what she says to me sometimes. And she's doing a great job of it too. What, uh, so what advice do you give to people who face these challenges that you have? I think, for me personally, I feel like a lot of advocacy and education is important, which I know is hard because it can be very difficult to disclose and discuss your exceptionalities, your disabilities, um, especially because a lot of environments are not conducive or accepting. But something that I found for me personally that really, really helped was advocating for myself and providing that education because 
some things like I look at accidental ableism. Those are some things that might really bug others. I know for me personally, I get really bothered by a lot of accidental ableism. Could you define, but if folks, that, define that for us. Accidental ableism. Accidental is ableism. Mm -hmm. So when we think of ableism, we're going to think of any other isms where it's an obvious difference where there's going to be that inequality, those issues. So sometimes though, we can have those without even realizing it. It might be those unknown biases or things like that. So an example of accidental ableism would be not having any allergen-free food at an event. If there are printed materials, not having any materials with large print available and ready to go that are right next to the other materials. So nobody has to disclose, you know, an exceptionality to get those materials. Um, people staring. Um, so for me, I wear corrective leg braces and sometimes in the store, people will stare at them and they might not realize they're doing it. But for me, it really bothers me because I feel like anybody would not want to feel watched just to go to the grocery store. Right. But to have people staring or pointing um, feels really frustrating. Other forms of accidental ableism would be not using person first language. So saying the autistic person instead of the person with autism, or just not involving the medical diagnosis whatsoever. I mean, if the description of the exceptionality or disability is not pertinent to the situation, there's really no need to bring it up. Um, other things would be asking about people's outlooks. So, you know, saying, oh, well, does it impact how long you're going to live? Or, you know, sir, I know something that a lot of people who use mobility aids get is how does it impact your sex life? Like, whoa, that is personal. There is no need to share that. Right. Um, Another one is backhanded compliments, like you're overcoming your disability. You're doing so well considering you're disabled. Those two are ones that I get a lot. Um, and I know that people don't mean them with malintentions, but it's, it definitely does fire me up. And I always try to say, I really appreciate your compliment, but your wording is a little bit hurtful. Do you think we could maybe work on adjusting it or just explaining why, you know, saying considering this, you know what I mean? You wouldn't say you're doing well for a girl or, hey, you're really smart for a black person, right? We would never say those phrases. Those are completely out of line, unexpected, inappropriate behaviors. So it, we have to think the same with disabilities. That's very educational. I'm really glad that you were talking today. So I think I interrupted you and you were talking about advocacy. So have you had an opportunity to speak or to share or to do advocacy work? Absolutely. So advocacy, once again, started in high school, very passionate about it. So the first time I really started looking at advocacy was my junior year of high school. We had an opportunity to do a research paper, and I chose to dedicate my paper to standardized testing and the impacts on students with significant exceptionalities. Um, so I was looking at life skills, autistic support, and um, MDS classrooms. And um, I chose to dedicate, we had to present to our senior class, I chose to dedicate my time to talking about you know, what those students need and, you know, ways that we have accidental ableism with those students and how we can better support them, how we can better capture their educational capabilities, their knowledge acquisition and application, um, you know, things like that. And I actually had brought teachers to tears because, you know, some of my regular education teachers were not aware of, you know, some of the, the struggles or things that occur. Um, you know, and I actually brought visual aids. I ended up presenting for the full, I was 40, they were supposed to be 15 minutes. I presented for 42 minutes. Sorry to my peers. I just really don't stop talking and I'm passionate. So put the two together and it's a bit of a problem. Um, and then all throughout college, um, I was the disability support services senator in student government. Um, 
I also am part of a sorority whose philanthropy focuses on invisible, chronic, and rare diseases. I was the service vice president and the president of that organization. Um, I ran events like Disability Pride Month, Rare Disease Week, um, just different things like that. I'm also part of the Diversity Peers Education Program at IUP, and I'm the vice president of that organization. And we get a chance to interact with community and like IUP students themselves um, to talk about different isms. And obviously my, my main topic is about ableism. And we actually have different simulations that they can go through, such as, you know, learning disabilities with reading comprehension, um, certain sensory and or processing, you know, in exceptionalities. So looking at ADHD, things like that. They also, there's a deaf and hard of hearing one. We have different ones that we can be that we do, and they can be done virtually or, or in person. We also do spoon theory math, which I think has made the most impact on people. I've had a lot of people either just become very emotional when they're doing spoon theory because it really illustrates the experience of an individual that has exceptionalities. I don't, um, I'm not familiar with that. Could you describe it on absolutely. audio podcast? Okay. Yeah, I can do it. So if you need, you might want to get a post-it note. So each day you have 12 spoons. So go ahead and make 12 tick marks. Okay, I will. So while you're making your, your tick marks, if you did not sleep well within the last 24 to 48 hours, I want you to take away one of those tick marks. If you have had any form of bug, whether it's your allergies, a cold, the flu, or maybe you're just not feeling great, I need you to take away another one. And if you have skipped any meal within the last 24 to 48 hours, I need you to take a tick mark off. Okay. Alrighty, now we're gonna start our spoon math. So if you got out of bed today, I need you to take a spoon away. If you got dressed, a spoon is a yeah, tick, a tick mark. So those are gonna be our spoons. Okay. So if you got dressed, take another one away. If you took any medication today, whether it's Alivert for allergies or a prescription med, Tylenol for a headache, take away that spoon or that tick mark. If you watch TV today, take away one tick mark. For our next activities, you're going to start taking away two. If you took a shower or a bath today, take away two. If you styled your hair, take away two. If you got on the internet, whether you were surfing social media, Facebook, TikTok, or you were doing research for a project, you know, I need you to take away two spoons or tick marks. If you were reading or studying, take away two. Alrighty, now we're going to start plugging away at three. If you ate today, if you cooked the meal, or even if you just went to McDonald's drive through when you picked it up, we're going to take away three of those tick marks or spoons. Did you FaceTime, call anybody, take away that tick mark? Did you maybe do some light housework, like putting the dishes away or making your bed? take away three of those tick marks. Did you drive somewhere? Go to the store, doctor's appointment, down the road to see your neighbor? Take away three spoons. Alrighty, now we're going to start taking away four. Now wait, I don't have any left, you realize. That. I know. <laughs> I, well, we got to keep going. See, here's the problem. I'm in you negative have a lot territory. You have things to do in one day, but you don't have enough spoons. So see how negative you can get. All right, I'm All right. negative. Go ahead. If you went to school or to work, take away four of those. Okay. If you did any form of shopping today, whether you got Peapod delivered or you went to Martin's, Giant Eagle, Walmart, um, Circle K, take away four spoons. 
If you did anything medical today, whether it's PT, go to the doctor, go to the dentist, take away four spoons. If you did any form of exercise, like climbing the stairs, going to the gym, maybe playing ultimate frisbee on the quad, right? Take away four spoons. So at what time of day did you run out of spoons? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I would have ran out probably in the first couple of hours. I mean. And, and there lies the rub. I'm the same way. So with my exceptionalities, I'm normally using spoon theory math. I'm out of spoons before I even go to work. And I have a very high intensity job. So the problem is now we have to start taking away spoons that we don't have. So what that's representative of is we don't, we're taking away energy from our body. We're taking away things that help maybe cope or keep our symptoms in check. So at the end of the day, I'm very tired. I have a lot of joint pain. So anybody with a chronic condition or an exceptionality is going to feel this fatigue, whether it's mental and or physical, um, you know, anything like that. And we're going to start having that. And your body is going to physically face the consequences. You know, you can make yourself pretty, pretty sick. So you have to really pick and choose what you're going to spend your spoons on. I see. I see. I was at negative 25. So I'm, I spent a lot of spoons. Yeah, it's, it's hard. So it's, you really have to consider what are you going to use your spoons on? And you have to think of ways that you can get spoons back because it, it is possible to earn those spoons back. Maybe you ate um, some, so for me, I have low blood sugar frequently as one of my exceptionalities. And so for me, eating something that's going to help raise that blood sugar and keep it steady would be a way for me to get spoons back. Um, maybe sitting down, taking a nap, watching, you know, a show that I really like. Something that I can decompress with is a way that I can get that spoon back. Although what works for me isn't necessarily always a universal way to get that spoon back. You have to be really cognizant and aware of what you need, which can sometimes be a battle to figure out because if you're newly diagnosed, it, it takes a while and sometimes it can even change. So even if you've had your diagnosis for a long time, we as humans never stop evolving and changing and growing, you know, so we have to adapt. Well, that mirrors one of the comments I make in several of the podcasts that the brain continues to develop into the early twenties, particularly the prefrontal cortex. And so our personalities continually evolve up into those points for sure. And you haven't even discovered your full self until your early twenties. You haven't even met yourself yet. And so there's things you're going to discover that you didn't know, but then you got to deal with them. And some of those are positive. Like what's my best way to decompress? Like you just said this, I'll try that. That didn't seem to work. I'll try this other thing. And of course, some of them are negative. Sometimes I find out that this stresses me a lot more than I anticipated. And so you got to deal with it. But mm -hmm. I, there's a lot of self-discovery that goes on with young adults. And that's probably why I wanted to start the podcast. I wanted to help with that process. Um, as you know, I'm a cognitive psychologist. So Emily, I'm having a fascinating time talking to you, but I promised we'd only go for a short while. Um, can I ask you an another question? By all means. The direction. What tops your bucket list? As in what was my favorite experience? Now going forward, what would you really like to do on your bucket list? If you had list. You know what a bucket list is, it's like down Yeah, the I'm just thinking because I feel like I don't have anything super exciting. I feel like my bus bucket list is a little bit lame. Oh. Um <laughs> that's okay. Mine is too. Mine's travel, but go ahead. I mean, my bucket list, I have very specific places that I want to go, and there's only like five of them. Um, I want to go to the Crayola factory, which is in Pennsylvania. Um, 
I don't know why. That's like my number. I have to go to the Crayola factory. I want to go to the McCormick factory. I want to go to the Coca-Cola factory. I want to go to Glass Beach, California. And I want to go to see the volcanoes in Hawaii. Oh, that's a cool list. That's a, that's a better list than mine. I've actually done one of those things on your list. I've been to Hawaii, but the, uh, those, I'm going to try. I'm going to actually put some of those on my list. Those are cool things to go to museums. I want to go to the glass blowing museum. I think it's in New York. In Corning. Corning. Yes. Yeah. It's really cool. It's yeah. awesome. There's a show on Netflix called blown away and it's about glass blowers and they actually have um, uh, some disability advocacy on the show. And I actually got to speak with two of the artists who do disability advocacy. And it was amazing just to see wow. that representation and to, you know, talk with them. It's, I think that's something very important is, you know, especially as a society right now, we're talking so much about representation and appropriate and, you know, uh, let me rephrase that. Appropriate disability representation is very difficult right now, right? We're seeing, if we're seeing autism in the media, we're seeing somebody who's having a prone restraint or a meltdown or they're stimming in an inappropriate way that's not an accurate representation of that community. Or we're seeing the kid in the wheelchair and their whole personality is that they're in a wheelchair and they just wish they could walk. Like there are ambulatory users in wheelchairs that can walk for short distances and it's just not accurate. And we're missing a whole lot in between. So proper representation is important. And I don't inter interrupt you, but it's exactly because we saw blown away that we want to go to the glass blowing museum. Cause my wife and I both binge watched that show when we got started on it. You're completely right about the media. I teach media studies and the media picks up stereotypes, tropes, and runs with them. And it simplifies their storytelling because they introduce a character that's got this one characteristic and then all this other baggage goes along with it. All these other presumptions go along with it. And then they get to do certain things with the plot because of all that. But um, it's not accurate. It's highly inaccurate a lot of the time. So I, I take responsibility for that as a media professional. <laughs> My friends and family call me chronic and iconic, so. Chronic and iconic. Yeah, I actually run a disability advocacy blog called Chronic and Iconic, so you're welcome to use it. Thanks, for, thanks very much. Emily, this has been great to talk to you. Thanks a lot for coming on board today. And obviously, I wish you good luck in everything you do after this. And hopefully, we'll meet up again down the road. And I hear about the great stuff you're doing in the classroom. I hope you get that PhD. I hope you get to go to ASU. Thank uh, you. Tempe, Arizona is quite a special place. I've hung out there many times and uh, I get to, I get to talk to you again. I hope. Thanks for, thanks very much. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to the growing up sucks podcast with Eric Lauber. 